SCP-2480, An Unfinished Ritual. A strange coastal town in Massachusetts, filled with odd locals that keep to themselves, and the site of a religious organization that consorts with inhuman entities. This is the setting for H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, but also the setting of SCP-2480. The Lovecraftian influences and similarities don't end there, as we'll see, but 2480 also stands on its own two feet within the SCP universe by blending in elements of sarcasm. If you haven't already viewed my video on sarcasm, I highly recommend doing so first before continuing. This is a story in which neither the GOC nor the SCP Foundation come off as incredibly competent and develops into a much bigger problem than at first glance. The first line of the description reads that SCP-2480 is speculated to be a dimensional anomaly in a coastal Massachusetts town, meaning that the Foundation still hasn't confirmed if that's the truth or not. There's a crossed-out section in which they blame the inept and heavy-handed Global Occult Coalition for creating the anomaly when they interrupted a ritual in 1952, which had an unknown purpose. This would seem to be no longer believed by the Foundation, but we'll have to keep reading to find out what exactly is going on. They do know, however, that the anomaly is centered around a mansion in the town known as Bodefell Manor, the previous home of a millionaire industrialist with an interest in the occult named Cornelius P. Bodefell III, who coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, died in 1952. A footnote tells us that Bodefell was also known as Carcist Sulkisk, revealing that sarcasm was likely a key component of that ritual. In the later years of his life, Bodefell was the leader of a secret society known as Aditum's Wake, named after the capital of the Sarkic Empire. The Foundation looked into Aditum's wake in 1932, but dismissed it as another decadent upper-class social club. Strike one for the Foundation. None of the GOC operatives sent to interrupt the ritual in 1952 survived, but the Foundation did investigate one of their nearby safe houses, finding a number of burnt documents related to their mission. Part of one was intact, detailing a humanoid entity known as Grand Carcist Eon, who we of course know as the earthly leader of the Sarkic cults. The GOC were clearly not certain of much of their info on Eon, and in fact, with their only known photograph of him, they're unsure if he's the humanoid in the forefront or the manifested face in the background. Despite their uncertainty, though, it was the GOC's mission to assassinate Grand Carcist Eon, so they must have had reason to believe that he was going to be present at the ritual site. Foundation operatives were alerted to the mission after intercepting a GOC distress broadcast, sending in an investigation team. The team discovered 36 bodies scattered across the mansion, five of them being GOC operatives that had shot themselves the other 31 having been killed through anomalous means, such as implosion, disintegration, and fatal physical reconfiguration. The Foundation, however, did not find Grand Carcist Eon's body among the deceased, 
leading them to believe the GOC ultimately failed their mission. They discovered that the mansion was under the effects of some sort of subtle dimensional anomaly, changing room sizes in impossible ways and other similar phenomena, usually only noticeable through sustained viewing or well-on perception-altering chemicals. The anomaly is marked as safe, the Foundation gets to laugh at the GOC for being incompetent, and that's that. Of course, that's not that, as the Foundation did their standard investigation into the manor, and that's when things started to spiral out of control. They uncovered numerous journals and photographs that detailed the parties that Addison's Wake had at Bodefell Manor, involving rape, pedophilia, ritual human sacrifice, and cannibalism, all par for the course for Sarkics. Guest lists, however, included members of affluent families, respected politicians, leaders of industry, and even those of religious authority. It also became clear that this was more than just classic secret society fun, as they uncovered sermon notes and religious scripture, including some sort of religious tome written in an unknown language. A statue in the main hall of the manor depicted an entity with a lion's head and a worm-like body, determined to be a representation of the Demiurge, which we know in the SCP universe as Yaldabaoth, principal deity of Sarcasism. At the base of the statue, written in Greek, are the words, Desire is the measure of all things. Be unbound from moral tethers. Do as you will to whom you will. This is a common proverb among Neo-Sarkics, as the will to power is the primary driving force of man and the key to achieving godhood, according to them. Things were quiet for a number of years after this initial investigation, with a small foundation facility set up nearby to monitor Bodefell Manor in the town. Bi-annual reports were sent every year for decades, all of which reported no changes of any kind on the dimensional anomaly. In 1988, however, the head of the facility at the time, Simon Oswalt, failed to send a report on time. At first, the Foundation just assumed it was some sort of bureaucratic error, probably not a big deal. But after attempting to contact the site and receiving no response, two agents were sent to personally investigate. In classic horror fashion, they were never heard from again. Since something was almost certainly wrong, Mobile Task Force Epsilon-6, Village Idiots, was sent in to re-establish contact. They integrated themselves into the town as new residents and tourists, and were provided a log of their encounters. Six days after arrival, an agent writes that he detects a certain wrongness in the town, something he can't quite put his finger on. He saw a man mowing his lawn at midnight, and a man at the fish market that simply stared at him without blinking. He also mentions a subtle, pungent smell of neither fish nor the sea. Eleven days in, another agent complains about the hotel he's staying in, writing that people run about all hours of the night. The night before, he looked out the peephole from his room and saw a face, and the person immediately began to slam their head against the door, 
over and over. Sixteen days in, an agent writes that they know their target is Bodefell Manor, but for some reason Command is not letting them go in. A drunk man approached her and asked if she was a Fed. After lying and saying yes, the man began talking about monsters in the fog who screamed their secrets, and it's been like this for over 40 years. They apparently found him dead the next day, with the locals claiming he drowned. The agent isn't convinced. Twenty days in, another agent remarks that the town possesses a rather miserable appearance, covered in fog and always raining, with even the trees looking sad. The majority of locals keep to themselves, rarely smile, and look tired and sickly. The agent came across a group of kids in the street, gathered around something, who scattered once he approached. He discovered that the children had been taking bites out of a partially flayed, dead dog. Thirty days in now, two of the agents went poking around an abandoned building in town, discovering the interior covered in various symbols and gibberish. They also found a TV that looked like it came from the 50s or 60s, and a set of four TV dinner trays with half-eaten meals still sitting there. They caught a glimpse of someone and chased them upstairs, finding no one. One of the agents thinks they were chasing their own shadows, perhaps literally. Seven days later, an agent writes that they haven't heard from one of their fellow agents for seven days. They went to where he was staying and found all the doors and windows locked, found only the agent's fingerprints, and the TV was still running. It's as if he ceased to exist. 39 days in, another agent recounts his attempts at gaining information from a local dive bar. He conversed with an old fisherman, who began crying about how Boldfell had taken two of his sisters and a brother. The agent can't get a straight answer on whether he meant the millionaire or the estate itself. He says the fisherman was delirious by the end of the conversation, going on about how the town has a god-shaped hole in it. You might remember that phrase from my video on the Hanged King, although I'll leave it to your speculation if that's a meaningful connection. The final log comes from 40 days into the investigation, written by an agent that was having a few beers with a fellow agent at the docks while comparing notes. The other agent said he felt like he was being followed, his eyes bloodshot from lack of sleep. This is the agent that couldn't sleep in his hotel. Suddenly, the agent's eyes go wide as the air begins to smell of a thunderstorm, and in the next instant, he implodes. The agent says that he was killed by some sort of invisible force, turning him into slurry, and he claims to have felt a presence the entire time. He says that it felt like something wanted him to know that it could do that to him as well at any moment. Fans of Lovecraft's works might find this death similar to Abdul Alhazred's, who was said to have been devoured by an invisible monster in broad daylight. A crowd of locals had seen the agent's demise, with some of them smiling, but they simply went on with their routines. The agent finishes the log by wishing that they could just raise this place and be done with it. 
We're then given a series of logs from a doctor that has been studying SCP-2480 in the surrounding town, named Dr. Calixto Narvaez. A number of unusual observations have been made regarding the town. It seems that the locals excessively procreate, with the average household having 12 children, and 80% of these children lack birth certificates or social security numbers. The doctor suspects religious reasoning for this. Many residents also appear to have difficulty with memory retention, mental fatigue, and subtle hallucinations. The use of hallucinogens among the townfolk is non-existent though, although they consume 200% more alcohol than the statewide average. Another record they set in Massachusetts is the number of disappearances, the highest in the state, although this has been blamed on the dense forests and marshlands around the town by law enforcement agencies. Both local residents and transients are involved in disappearances, reported and unreported. There are also many suspicious deaths within the town, with anomalous causes, although this is inexplicably dismissed by law enforcement. A woman was found with her body structurally inverted, and police concluded that this was self-inflicted. Overall, a general malaise and apathy blankets the local populace, which is pretty clear at this point. The doctor goes on to say that they're dealing with an anomaly that exists beyond their normal human senses. In 1976, he was sent to Brazil to investigate a similar community, and he came across an indigenous tribe in the Amazon that were aware of the anomaly. He discussed things with the tribe's shaman, learning that they commonly referred to entities that lurked beyond human sight as none stand where they do. These entities apparently were responsible for an affliction they called soul sickness, and they blamed it on colonists wounding nature. The shaman gave the doctor a plant-based concoction that contained the chemical NN-dimethyltryptamine, DMT, a powerful psychedelic drug. The doctor experienced the world as they saw it, but dismissed it as a hallucination. He goes on to say, though, that DMT can enhance one's perception, allowing one to perceive reality for what it really is. He requested access to DMT to further investigate SCP-2480, which is approved. To go back to Lovecraft, this is essentially the plot of From Beyond, with a drug instead of a device. Dr. Narvaez enters the town connected via video and audio to his assistant outside of town, and intends to observe his surroundings before administering the DMT. Either he didn't notice anything unusual, or he was simply impatient, as the next line in the log shows him taking the drug. He immediately notices colors growing more vivid, and a yellow fog cloaking the town. He also now notices a number of robed figures walking through the town, their outfits seemingly stitched together from leathers and hides, although he can't see their faces, and feels instinctively that he should not look upon them. The locals also don't make eye contact with these figures, but they do move to avoid them. The doctor's assistant, who can only see normal reality through the video feed, notes that the buildings in the town look normal to him, 
but the doctor remarks that they appear to be in a state of ruin, covered in a pulsating, fleshy material. He also sees a black fluid with an amber sheen flowing through a drainage system, as well as a black ziggurat in the center of town where the church should be, but his assistant can't see either. A number of the robed entities prostrate themselves in front of the ziggurat, and the doctor also sees an abnormally tall one holding several odd creatures by a leash that resembles intestines. The creatures move about with a frenzied pace, showing pale but muscular flesh and rows of needle-like teeth in their mouths. The assistant says he sees a teacher with young students, and then sees a few of the students bullying another. But the doctor sees the creatures ganging up on the runt of the group and ripping into it with talons. The doctor also looks and sees tall spires composed of some sort of organic material towering over the town. But he still must acquire proof that this hidden world is real and not just a hallucination. He returns to where he saw the black fluid and fills a bottle with it as the effects of the DMT wear off. The bottle appears to be empty, but he can feel the weight of the liquid inside of it. He ends his first log by remarking that he also recalls seeing black banners with a yellow spiral-like symbol on them, feeling as if he's seen it before, but not sure where. After being removed from the town, the liquid became visible just as the doctor saw it, and after initial analysis, seems to be a semi-gelatinous substance containing structures resembling mitochondria with high levels of unidentified fatty acids. Basically, the Foundation has no idea what this goop is. The Doctor goes back for further investigation alongside two members of the MTF. They re-enter the house that was occupied by the agent that vanished, and the Doctor takes some more DMT. He then perceives the house as it truly is, covered in blood and excrement, describing the experience as like what he imagines biting into a rotten tumor would feel like. Above the couch, he sees words written on the wall, reading, He is dreaming war. Aditum will rise. Alongside indecipherable symbols. As they search the cellar, the doctor sees a large spiral painted on a wall, and approaches it. As he does so, the wall disappears, leaving the spiral floating in the air, and he finds a staircase behind it. The assistant informs him that he walked into a wall, and the camera went black. But what really happened is the wall never existed in the first place, just an illusion for human eyes. The agents close their eyes and walk through the wall to join the doctor, and the three descend the stairs. They lose contact with the assistant, their GPS signal goes out, and the walls are leaking a sap-like substance. The tunnel they're walking in branches out into many different directions, and after continuing down a branch for a few minutes, they come across a rotted wooden door. They walk through it, and emerge outside in a field on the other side of town. The same yellow fog blankets the area and the doctor takes another dose of DMT. 
The remainder of the log is written after the fact, as it seems disaster struck at that point. The doctor saw a silhouette of a massive humanoid, over 4 meters, or 13 feet in height, shambling out of the fog. It had pale, flabby flesh, a large tooth-filled mouth, three fingers on each hand, and no visible eyes, ears, or nostrils. Its teeth and hands were seemingly covered in blood. A footnote implies that this is just one of many similar entities, referred to now by MTFs as behemoths. The behemoth charges at the group, grabbing one of the agents with one hand, and disemboweling him with its teeth. The doctor and the remaining agent attempt to run through the fields back to the shed so they can re-enter the tunnels, and the doctor looks down at the ground to see that they're walking on what looks like diseased flesh instead of soil. With each step, the ground splinters and gushes like an infected, pus-filled wound. And suddenly, the agent is grabbed by some sort of red tendrils coming from the ground, an entity now referred to by MTFs as a snatcher. The snatcher pulls the agent into a small hole, crushing her bones in the process as she is forcibly dragged underground. The doctor runs without looking back and manages to escape. This is clearly a bigger problem than just a weird town, and so we're introduced to Project Citra Acra, Aramaic for Other Side. A letter from an O5 informs us that, left unchecked, SCP-2480 will cause a change in the dominant species of life on the planet by the year 2030. The dimensional anomaly in Massachusetts is allowing some other world to bleed into ours, operating on a different level of perception than our baseline reality. Genetic analysis of these entities has revealed that they are mostly human, but the Foundation has no idea where they came from or what caused humans to change in such a way. They are able to cloak themselves in a version of our reality, which is what the town resembles to an average person, but their true forms are deeply grotesque. They've named a number of the entities, including behemoths, snatchers, jabberers, and fiends, and the MTFs are capable of killing them, although first-month survival rate of active duty on 2480 hovers around 55%. We then learn that Citra Acra is a joint operation between the SCP Foundation and the GOC, a rare situation where the two groups work together. MTF Psi-9 Abyss Gazers, was formed as a joint task force of battalion-level strength, trained in unconventional warfare and the use of heavy artillery, DMT, and counter-occult stratagems. It took this super team of elite soldiers 12 years to reclaim Bodefell Manor and the former Foundation facility, and they suffered heavy casualties in the process. They also managed to apprehend the head of that facility, Simon Oswald, and the document claims that this has greatly diminished or possibly neutralized the threat of SCP-2480, as Oswald was believed to be controlling the entities through pheromones. 
A vivisection of Oswald revealed the absence of all internal organs except for his brains, lungs, and heart, and the pineal gland in his brain was eight times larger than normal. Again, possibly a reference to From Beyond. Oswald seems to suffer no pain from the vivisection, nor does he seem to be affected by it at all. So, of course, an interview is done with him. He begins by saying that he would prefer to be called Carcist Carvis, and refers to the interviewer as an unwashed one. He goes on to explain that he kept a number of people in town so that they could continue to breed, as fresh materials are always in demand. He was apparently known among the Foundation as a dullard, and so he was the perfect choice for a dead-end position of monitoring SCP-2480. Soon after taking the position, however, he was apparently approached by Grand Carcist Eon, who he says saw his full potential. His body was altered, and he became fully loyal to the Sarkic cults. The interview is cut short when Oswald threatens to nail the interviewer to the wall and to make him dance like a meat puppet. He then amputates his own arms as he breaks his restraints, and squirms along the ground before being restrained again. The final addendum simply reads, On 11-24-2014, anomalies similar to SCP-2480 were reported in Romania. Investigation is currently ongoing. There's a lot left unsaid with SCP-2480, in true Lovecraftian fashion but it's pretty clear that it represents a rather dire threat. Although the document claims that the entity ceased to be a threat once Oswald was captured, they didn't exactly stop the dimensional anomaly, as that existed prior to Oswald's betrayal. Additionally, the fact that other dimensional anomalies just like it are starting to pop up in other places is certainly a very bad sign. The major threat of sarcasm has often been considered to be SCP-610, the Red Death, but they seem to have many more tricks up their sleeves. If it took 12 years for a super team of operatives to reclaim one site of these anomalies, it's going to be quite a struggle for the Foundation to contain them. The story of sarcasm is an ongoing one, and it remains to be seen whether there will ultimately be a grand conclusion or it will simply continue in some form for the rest of time. Either way, SCP-2480 is a very interesting modern take on Lovecraftian horror, combined with the resources and capabilities of the SCP Foundation and the threats they face. <laughs>